Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. Spaghetti Joe over there. Is that there, Pesto Pete, that I see? It's me, Spaghetti Joe. And I got a question for you. And it's a question that's in every man's mind at some point. And what might that be? Do I get back into bootcut jeans? I'm sorry, did you say bootcut jeans? Bootcut jeans. I know this is the year of our Lord 2021. I've been alive long enough to notice the fashion trends. They come and go. Yeah, of course. You were always really fashionable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know me. I'm, when I'm out here on the ranch, I, I want to look good for my cows. Of course. But I saw... I saw footage the other day of Mark Hamill training for Star Wars, and God, man, is he rocking those high-waisted bell-bottom jeans. And also, I just bought a pair of new cowboy boots. I want them to fit. Oh, I want jeans that fit over it because usually I kind of wear slimmer-cut jeans, not skinny right, jeans, right. you know, per se. But, okay. you know, a, a slimmer taper below the knee. Right, that's very specific. Yeah, see, I like my boots in my... I like my pants in my boots. I like to feel, mm. like, tucked, you know? Mm. And if you're riding, then nothing gets in the way. I feel like that's Ooh. the way to go. Woo-wee! I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> Woo! Is that mm. is that how we agree now? Is that Was that actually canonical back in the time? It's hard to say because in my experience... Cowboys often have goofy Midwestern accents. Uh, I'm sorry, they do? They don't talk like this? They don't talk like a bad impression of Tom Hardy in that one movie with Leonardo DiCaprio in which he won the Oscar, and I think that was in 2015, if I'm not mistaken. Listen, my experience (laughs) is... My experience is, like, I have ringing in my head, like, I came back from a trip... I had been gone like a day longer than I thought I was going to. I was staying uh, at this guy's house on his ranch with his wife. And 
I opened up the fridge to like see what food I had and I pulled out some chicken. And like I'd been gone over a weekend, but there's still that possibility the chicken's still good. Right, yeah. And I pull it out and I just, you know, I was like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Uh, wouldn't eat oh. that. You know, like <laughs> like right. Fargo accent. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, okay. <laughs> That's a bit, that seems very out of place. Just put that in a wood chipper. So <laughs> I just kind of want to look back and like re-envision the entire cast of Deadwood, but they all talk like that. That's yeah, it. exactly. Like <laughs> reimagining all of that. Re- exactly. Reimagine any Western, but then try to like imagine. Oh yeah, probably people had like kind of quasi Irish accents. Yeah, you know it, it's weird trying to place Western stuff because, in my experience, living out west and you know not. I don't feel like living in a in the very authentic deep South, but. Going between them, you know, driving and everything else, there's a weird pageantry that they that both both sides of the country romanticize about the other. Right. When you're in the South, if you're in Nashville and like, you know, you're that's very much more the idea of <laughs> cowboy than, you know, because Nashville is a Nashville is a a metropolitan diverse city of <laughs> yeah. working class people uh and and music celebrities and and music producers and stuff. Right. But all the pageantry is very like, you know, Wild West show Rope and Cattle, which is more of a western phenomenon, you know. Mm-hmm. The, the United States pretty quickly established that this region is going to grow this, this region is going to grow that. Like, it yeah. was immediately such a big country and was, you know, loosely organized enough that you could say, this is where we're going to raise cattle and this is where we're going to grow cotton and corn, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, but then if you go out west... They have an affinity for the South, you know, and Mm. I've been annoyed by this for many reasons. I think everyone (laughs) should be like the 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 contemporary use of the Confederate flag and what what it has become as a symbol of white supremacy. Yeah. But seeing people in Montana fly the Confederate flag is extremely odd. Yes. They have the idea of it being like a rebellious symbol but it's also but montana famously the the most famous uh civil war veterans from montana fought for the union yeah exactly you know it's also a northern state the leader the leader of the irish brigade there's a statue of him in helena like they fought for the union yeah that that never but, ceases but the, to do, amaze do, do, me. Do you see the weirdness? Like the there, and I, I've talked about this before. I think the how perplexed I am by the by right. how often you see the Confederate flag flown in states that can't even claim it as part of their heritage, even as yeah. as lofty as that is. Because th- right. this is a whole conversation, maybe for another day. But also, that flag was not used in the Civil War. At least not yeah. in the form that people see it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, isn't that the whole thing that now it's more? It is 
really truly a symbol of white supremacy. That's really what it's come to represent. It's not necessarily well, I mean, I think it always has. Yeah. Let's be real, but it's it's not that authentic version that people make it out to be. And it culturally stands for something very different. And you know, yeah. I, the the whole thing of northern states having it mm-hmm. makes no sense to me. Looking at you, it's, New Jersey, yeah. but. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's tricky with certain things that you can associate with multiple cultures. Like, right. since me and all my roommates are vaccinated, we went out the other night for the first time. You know, we're still, like, eating outdoors or whatever, but there's, like, sure. still a bouncer, you know? It's it's kind of oh. funny, like, having a bouncer to go somewhere outside. Right. <laughs> but my roommate Angela is Greek and Greek Orthodox, and so... She 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 has a cross on her neck, but it's one of the like kind of squat crosses. You know, it, it looks like a plus sign more than like oh, a, okay, a Roman yeah. cross. And the guy letting us in is like, "Oh yeah, Iron Cross." Oh, <laughs> you know, which is yeah. not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just like you know, that's it, it has like more of that like military allure. Yeah, it's you know, a you different. Could, thing. You could see someone wearing that and not think, ah, they are someone. Uh, from the Eastern, the Christian Eastern Orthodox Church, or you could think it's a military thing. In the worst case scenario, it's a Nazi thing. But you know, yeah. the Nazis co-opted a lot of unrelated stuff. You know, we'll right? S- we'll see if you know Indians ever get to reclaim swastikas. Uh, <sighs> but you yeah. know, they—that's that—that is a difficult. Uh, that that that's a tricky one for sure yeah but i yeah. think i think you know this all does kind of fit into our main topic here which is why we have our uh setting and why we're in our stereotypical western garb from the mm-hmm. famous cinema mm-hmm. movies of you yeah. know the past now i'm yeah now i i ask myself this all the time and I, I'm glad that, you know, since we are in our facsimile of a saloon here at the uh-huh. UCM, you know, letting all these uh, school children get to see uh, how cowboys uh, tromped around, at least in movies. Yep. If if you were in the Old West, would you be big iron on his hip kind of guy, like mm. your six shooter on your hip? Or would you do like the uh, under the armpits type of thing? Like, uh, like cowboys, you, you see them do that in movies, but that's kind of more of like a lawman, policeman type thing. But like where you can kind of like cross your arms and pull out two guns. Oh, the big shooter. Now, where, where, where do you, where do you, th- there are only two genders. Uh, where, where you, where you holster your six shooter. <laughs> I feel, I feel like I, Oh my god, that's fantastic! I... There's probably there's probably some discourse out there somewhere of, <laughs> on that. It's like <laughs> only tops wear their guns like this. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like I would be the the six shooter on the hip, like quick to the draw. Mm. That would be I think because because then you know you can use your other arm as like a you can have more flexibility i feel like when you have two guns like you see mm-hmm. in the movies that's a lot of power for inaccuracy yeah. unless you're just plus, really good plus you know from a from an aesthetic point of view which is i think how you and i both approach western yes. stuff absolutely um as 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 people that cosplay as <laughs> as cowboys literally uh, yeah <laughs> um 
I, I think aesthetically, it's very in, the asymmetry is interesting. Agreed. Yes, and also because mm-hmm. if you wear a big coat, you can like throw it to the side and kind of like show yeah. off. Like they do. Like yeah, that really that's that good a power scene, move, right? Like there. that scene where Jeff Bridges in the True True Grit remake like moves his coat to the side, and you can just like yeah. see it. Oh, it's great. It's a good shot. I think like you cannot even to this day you cannot underestimate the want to you know not only show off your belt if you're in like 4h or whatever you know did, did right. your school have 4h i've never been to a 4h fair but some of my friends mm-hmm. have so i know by proxy that was a that was a big thing at msu like mm. i i was literally walking down the mall to msu and there were kids riding horses just on like People don't believe oh. me when I say I saw people riding horses on campus. Like, oh wow! It sounds like it sounds like a bad joke. Like, but you know when 4H would take over, or they would have the rodeo or anything in the field house. Like, yeah. Suddenly, the entire student parking lot is full of horse trailers. Oh wow! Know? That's kind of yeah. wild. Yeah, but huh. there's also very much that. But back to the thing, it's like you can't underestimate the. I think cowboys and and cowgirls, but you know, I, I cowboy is almost an, a gender neutral ta- a term in my head. Um, yeah, it, I think it even is. Even though it, but... it it isn't, but it is in my head. Okay. <laughs> uh, which like like the word dude, which we will get to in a moment, right? Um, but you know, they are aware of how they are dressed i think in an interesting way um that yeah they are they are aware of how they present and they are aware of how they are signaling to each other like like anyone that dresses in a way to code themselves in modern society yeah um and all i can think of though is like when that's kind of taken to the extreme that you still need to prove that you're more gritty and real than the other people there and i cannot think of more of an uh, exemplification of this than when i freshman year in the dorms um me and my roommates wanted to have like um a a, we wanted to make dinner so we got a bunch of stuff to cook pasta and the Mm. only place to cook was in the basement there was this little tiny um kitchen you know just in, in the in the basement of our 70s built dorm rooms you know um and we brought all our stuff down and we had to wait because there was a guy cooking his girlfriend dinner and there he is in (laughs) in this little tiny kitchen dressed up in the full cowboy getup we're talking checkered shirt tucked into jeans boots hat he might have been wearing a vest but maybe that's just in my memory (laughs) but i need you to know like how western this guy was because you know his girlfriend is like sitting there she's like oh he's such a man you know (laughs) sitting there like she's she's sitting up on the counter like dangling her legs watching him cook right he is cooking beans in a saucepan he is stirring the beans with his pocket knife oh no like just like you know 
taking that off your hip and being like, don't worry, I got this. I removed the blood five seconds ago. Don't you worry about nothing. You now- want to bleed your beans. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, so in terms of from, like, flat top hat, like cowboy hat, to Doug Dimmodome, where was the cap in ratio to this? And what color um, was it? This is important. I mean, we're talking part. like that kind of pinch at the top of the crown okay. and the curves at the side. Oh, okay. At, so at the like brim. The long, long. Yeah. Brim. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, every now and then there was a guy that had like the suit was a different color, but there was a guy in Bozeman. He owned and ran the boot repair shop oh, who cool. legitimately had the full Doug Dimmodome thing because. <laughs> He had a tall cowboy hat with a oh, round wow. crown. Oh, interesting. Like, interesting choice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't even have the pinch at the top. Right. And, you know, he wore pocket watches. He wore a three-piece suit every day. Oh, my God. That's kind of cool. Yeah, old-fashioned cowboy boots. The thing to remember about cowboys is... They exist during, at least what we think of, like that kind of mid to late 1800s. That's the Victorian era. Like there's all of these people with high heeled, high laced shoes, men and women. Yep. Um, These elaborate waistcoats and pocket watches and all of this, all of these accoutrements, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, the fashion is, you know, it's, it is not, it, it's not just weirdly steampunk out of nowhere. <laughs> it, you have to remember, this stuff is coinciding with all of this other stuff that's, that's yes. happening in, uh, you know, uh, a broader sphere of influence. Yeah, I mean, it's so, I'm so glad you bring this up in regards to kind of our topic, because I never understood that until like later in my life Mm -hmm. watching westerns at a young age into you know i guess now i mean Mm -hmm. i in the past i used to think like i i knew the victorian age because of other films and other genres Mm -hmm. and games and such and then i knew westerns because of movies and i never understood I never made the connection. Like it took me a really long time to make that connection of, of fashion of, Oh, this is happening at the same time. They're just in the (laughs) desert or in the mountains. And you know, you have one suit, you know? Um, and it's very, very similar, but things adapted for said, you know, necessity, Mm -hmm. I guess, depending on what you're doing. But like the duster coat, for instance, instead of a top heavy wool coat Mm -hmm. with Cape, you kind of see that start to, to, to translate and then as you get to Mm -hmm. the later end of the 19th century i think that becomes a little bit more clear but also fashion starts to change too yeah yeah but you know by i mean it's weird to think about you know by the end of the 1800s we have blue jeans you know yeah um (laughs) and and uh all of this kind of iconic american style and fashion um certainly part of a whitewashed history which we'll get into but this is yes. kind of uh this is kind of the the american style heritage this is you know america at its most steampunk certainly yeah for sure and uh yeah it's uh it's it's something that i kind of could see you know if people li- living out west you know and also working in like a vintage watch shop you know you're you're kind of aware of 
some of this stuff the uh all of the all of the old like cast iron stuff that kind of just gets left where it was brought you know right, stuff yeah. that had to be brought out on trains you know from the sears roebuck catalog uh all of that stuff you know just being shipped out on trains imported into the west it's uh it's it's truly astounding there's but it also follows the the technology and the thought of the time yeah the, uh we have to think about in terms of if we're talking about the middle 1800s middle uh 19th century like there the the theory of evolution has been uh published by this point by darwin you know Mm -hmm. they would have been a lot of people out west would have been familiar with the writings of marx you know this all of this stuff is happening and people out west were not ignorant of it correct Um, yeah and and we're and we're not ignorant of global thought and culture you were certainly isolated and there certainly was a individualistic and um you know, a, uh, a a strain of it that prioritized self-sustenance because you, you had to be in, or, in order to survive. Yes. Um, but it, you, we're, if we're talking about the history, it is kind of almost a different thing to talk about our perception of that history and, mm-hmm. the, mytholo- and the mythology that is built around it. Because I think that's a little bit more of what we want to talk about today rather than just the straight up, history and more of our interpretations of said history because that is interesting in and of itself you know it is yeah a mythology that has roots in history and then also perceptions of uh of a nation yeah absolutely i mean i think yeah that is that is where our exhibit is kind of pivoting and what we've really uh, designed here to talk Uh about, which is that of how the really the Western genre Uh has comes about, you know, in the 20th century and how it essentially shapes the way that American mythology Uh and culture kind of continue basically until today. And and it's still present. And Mm -hmm. it's really, you know, this is based on research of my own of project of a project specifically that I've done um, dealing with this. And also just a lot of questions regarding this topic Mm -hmm. that start to expose a lot more details if you think about it further. And that's kind of what I wanted to present here was both from thought, from research and also from kind of observation throughout Mm -hmm. reactions of these things and so i think to briefly start and state very clearly you know the western film and you know Mm -hmm. the the tropes that come with that this idea of the gunslinger the lone cowboy everything associated with that is essentially just a cultural myth that's created through motion pictures it's not nearly as representational as i think people make it out to be and this is of course art um, what life imitating art, and it becomes something else through time, which makes sense, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. But I do think mm-hmm. that this causes a lot of problems through our own history, and I think it's even to where we're at now has led to some issues that mm-hmm. have been getting changed in a in a positive way, and have been getting a light shown on them. But there's still some, you know, questions regarding that so i think like you know one thing to kind of start and point within the western genre is this actually starts from books 
in particular, mm. like Western novels and novellas of the frontier. And, right, yeah. You know, because we have to th- imagine, too, going back, that you have the westward expansion and the Oregon Trail yeah. is starting to happen and, you know, Manifest destinies in full effect. Civil War is over, I want to say, because this is a weird, that's always tricky because it's like there's a pre-Civil War and then after. I think I want to focus more on the after, though, because the frontier and other things is a bit of a different discussion with this. So I, I kind of like to always position this conversation more in like trains are starting to function. We're getting this movement west. Towns are mm-hmm. showing up and people from the city are beginning to move in. And there's always that like yeah. dread. So, you know, you had life on the, the prairie and all these other things. I mean, that's not the book. That's just the mm-hmm. general concept. But like The Virginian yeah. by Owen Winster in 1902 is like one of the major books that kind of define that era. This idea of yeah. looking back. And and you you also have to keep in mind the 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 invention of the novel as yeah. s- so influential, like in ways that it, to to the nineteenth century. Th- this has been said elsewhere, but you know, in the way that film would define uh, the twentieth century, the novel yeah. shaped so many people's uh, you know ideas in the. Uh, in the 17 and 1800s the romantic novel was such mm-hmm. a uh such a such a huge thing like people would have people people would all have this kind of common association uh with with something just because they all read narratives and understood yeah. those tropes uh, the you know the that it, the, the a lot of the tropes that we think of even seem to predate some of the novels that survived that time. Yeah, um, I was reading something the other day about how the trope of the butler did it in a uh, in a murder mystery, right, seems to be older than the earliest written record we have of a novel that actually uh, uses that trope, and that novel itself seems to be making fun of it which means that it already was a joke oh that's wild right interesting but you know to to give like you know some examples remember uncle tom's cabin uh in the 1800s you know when uh uh lincoln met the uh the author harriet beecher stowe he even said to her so you're the little lady that started the civil war oh wow yeah, you know, um the uh Frankenstein, like all uh yeah. all all of these genre defining works begin as novels in this time period. So I'm I'm glad you mm. start there. Yeah, I think it's essential because I don't think these things just show up out of nowhere and if anything that's kind of what I'm trying to prove not prove but point out I guess in this exhibit is that of this culture of of um an artwork or a literary work or these kind of narratives it's really narrative i think is the, the blurring there. of the blurring of fiction and history and exactly. thus mythology yes absolutely a great way to put that and you know so i think starting with these novels and both the invention of the novel and its kind of its importance into these Western novels is, is important because it kind of does shape the adventure, the mm-hmm. gunslinger tropes, the other things. And, you know, focusing in on movies, then, you know, you start to see this in like the great train robbery, which is mm-hmm. the one that, um, and I, and I might've mentioned that too in our Americana tour, but it, 
that shapes the idea of the gunslinger, the person right. pointing the gun at the camera and shooting, scaring the audience. Like that is where this shows up. That's like its origin. But then we also have to kind of contextualize that with where we have other movies kind of hitting as well, like Birth of a Nation. You know that show up. Is that DW considered Griffith. a western? Not necessarily, but technically, it's it's gonna shape because it's civil war and it's that history and whatever. So it's mm. gonna start to shape a lot of tropes. So I wouldn't consider it a western necessarily, yeah. but I do consider it a major player in big motion picture films, grand American history films, and these kind of mm. narratives that are based in racism and white supremacy. At the end of the day. It's kind of one of those things where I bring it up because of, you know, when you start to look at a lot of these later films, mm-hmm. that it's that grand narrative. It's this 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 history of the Americas. This is how it is, right? Like, right. It, it's there. It's just not mm-hmm. directly, um, maybe as explicit or as obvious, but it's it's yeah. it is there. Like you you know, I kind of look yeah. At- you know what? That's what we'll say. That is is that our critique of Birth of a Nation too on the nose. Amongst other things, I mean, <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, it's it's these are. I Black guess I kind of face. I'll tolerate, but God, <laughs> so heavy-handed. God, it's like the community thing. Like I can tolerate racism. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, you can excuse <laughs> racism. Yeah. <laughs> I draw the line at animal cruelty. Yeah. Oh my God. But um, you know, these are these are like. The films that are happening at turn of the century, you know, that's, I mm-hmm. think, an important thing to note before we start to get more of these older films. And John Ford's films, like Stagecoach, for instance, would start to be mm-hmm. like genre shaking and all of these things that happen. And that film, too, is one of, I mean, it's it's basically um, The Hateful Late, you know, that whole carriage scene and mm-hmm. other things are, you know, there is... That the tropes present in that film of the cowboy archetype, the um, the prostitute character, the rich lady, the older person mm-hmm. who's from the city, like these are all mm-hmm. going to start to show up in film. The sounds yeah. used in the design. You, you already you already have the themes of trying to bring order, you know. To, Bam. Yeah. Yeah, try, trying to because because I mean the the thing about all of those movies is they always have to have like the even if it's a matte painting you know and mm-hmm. like these movies are being shot in a back lot in L.A. you know <laughs> yeah. there's always that establishing shot of something that's trying to give you an understanding that this is an enormous uh, area that uh, that. Uh, america is trying to expand into and that there are there is this idea of a civilized society and an uncivilized society and the noble uh figures within Mm -hmm. uh the the lawless society like that that always runs through every western but also think i think crucially is there's some yearning there's always some feeling of loss yeah or you know as the order rolls in everybody is like lamenting the loss of freedom and yes. the loss of nature uh and you know that that's you know that that's that's often in in more sympathetic uh ways that's usually what the native american characters uh, stand in for uh, you know the the whole noble savage thing, but I think it's I think it's important that they're not always uh, just 
just there. They're not always just, you know, fodder for the heroes that there is some understanding that. I I, I don't know, just like mm-hmm. they're they're not avoided. They it, it it is always present and we have to be and we have to examine how they were portrayed rather than just ignored completely. Yeah. It would like what I'm trying to say is like the the weird thing about westerns is if we really wanted to have like a tr- a, a completely uncomplicated narrative of manifest destiny and stuff like would Native Americans have not been featured at all and we would have just kind of pretended that there was nobody there when we rolled in? It's immediately uh, sort of complicated to us because we watch it and we're like, why did these people, why did it not occur to them that this land was theirs? Yeah. It's, it's a, it's an, in, their, their presence is always interesting because for some reason the, the sympathies aren't, they're like they would be to someone with contemporary sensibilities right exactly i mean but i but i think too it is that looming industry the modernization you know that is the threat which is what's kind of ironic because then it's like you're looking at these untouched landscape but Mm -hmm. it is inhabited it was inhabited yeah and mm-hmm. we're looking at this through a colonial or through a in, imperial perspective, right? Like, yeah. Th- then again, through 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 film, which I always think is very right. interesting, because you know, it's one thing to look at it through the history books of settler colonialism of moving in, mm-hmm. pushing people out, and not mm-hmm. you know, even in the past, they didn't take into consideration, um, you know, indigenous history, and now we do, Absolutely, and there's a huge yeah. change. You know, there's a huge mm-hmm. kind of uh, look back at what was actually here before Europeans, but. It's also like it's always been ironic to me because there is this attention to landscape, but then you use like painted backgrounds or you use false mm-hmm. uh, locations or you're you you know the construction of cinema actually gets in the way of that idea of that idea of the idea which yeah I mean that's what my work revolved around in particular that kind of made me curious about this this idea but you know I think it depends on the film and it depends on the time period because I do think you mm-hmm. see like indigenous peoples being represented as like that noble savage trope and archetype that's you know a placeholder for that and kind of something of being like i don't know because you you know the the bad threat is always the you know the industry the people moving out because there was always that idea Mm -hmm. of we're gonna go out west we're gonna you know god's given right we're gonna be here this is the land Mm -hmm. you know we're gonna expand that's never that's never questioned that Right, that the people that the white settlers living there have any right to it. That's that is never yeah. questioned in those not at all. That those people have a right to be there. Right, it's just kind of like they are, and it is what it is, and we kind of can move from that. Yeah. Then it's like it's, to so, the so next you people. immediately, yeah, th- through through a modern perspective, you immediately have the hypocrisy of that is is mm-hmm. kind of apparent to us. Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's hard to know. It's hard to know if anybody working on that stuff back then, if there was anyone thinking that, well, uh, that that critically and that self-reflectively back then. And I mean, it's, yeah. it sounds like you you have an answer to that. <laughs> kind of. I have a complicated one because it's, it's okay. <laughs> I have to pre- I have to preface this from what we just said, and then I'll kind of get into a good example of something that hits on that yeah. and then loses it. But mm-hmm. so you know, because we have to, I think, also consider as well, like who's writing these stories and who's revisioning the past now with the creation of the motion picture industry, which, you know, when you have primarily white 
Anglo-Saxon perspectives displaying the past, it's obviously going to change things, and it did. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when we have John Wayne, you know, the hero archetype come in, that also Mm -hmm. sets a standard for what the specific gunslinger, cowboy, good Mm -hmm. guy, you know, King Arthur hero is going to look like. But then, you know, and I'm skipping a a little ahead, Mm -hmm. but I think we can in the 1950s, at the end of the 1950s, which is like the golden age of Westerns, right? And think Mm -hmm. any romanticized Western movie, it's like that. And, you know, you have, like, John Ford's The Searchers, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a very famous film. I've seen it. It's very good. Um, Obviously, it has its problems, and it has its historical problems. But if we take that away for a minute as well and observe what was being shown, we have John Wayne, America's Mm -hmm. hero boy, Mm -hmm. playing a racist ex-Confederate soldier who mm-hmm. is a murderer, number one. He's mm-hmm. robbed a bank and also is like yeah. trying to kill people throughout this movie. Um, yeah. It's a very interesting depiction of, I th- I'm pretty sure it takes place in Texas and like the different territories at the time. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a very interesting take on this landscape and these different groups of people kind of trying to survive in it. But then at the Mm -hmm. same time, exposing the problems like you would have seen in older films, like making fun of the U.S. cavalry and the army in general, although kind of in a goofy way and ignoring the atrocities. But it's still display, you know, it's still kind of pointing at this. But the thing to remember as well is that it's, you know, this is being shown to a predominantly white audience in 1950s -hmm. America. And it's critiquing in a way John Ford's older movies. He's like revisiting this. And I know, you know. There's something subtly subversive about a lot of Westerns that I think is what keeps some of them watchable, I think. Yeah. There's another John Wayne film uh, from 1949 called She Wore a Yellow Ribbon. And, I mean, that's kind of also one of those more more understated uh, kind of somber... things you know a lot of it is centered on a native american attack Mm. um you know but there is also you know some kind of feeling to it of uh the the west is lost to has, has been lost to progress that and and has you know bulldozed over everything you know yeah that uh it's that eagles song you know the last resort I guess. I mean, <laughs> I think Don. Yeah. I think uh, American philosopher Don Henley said it best. <laughs> Call someplace paradise. Kiss it goodbye. Yeah, I mean that does sum it up. <laughs> but, but it isn't. You know, that is a similar kind of thing that shows up in the Searchers as well. I mean, you know, you do have to push back past the kind of again the the racist stereotypes, red face. Mm-hmm you know, a white protagonist, a you know, a right. German protagonist, which I always think is kind of odd, like the, the actor, mm-hmm. but these are people who be known, you know, and and all the other tropes that show up and, yeah. you know, it's a mess, but it's like, yeah. it's interesting to consider it that is. aspect of it. The, the, the weird thing to keep in mind, though, with John Wayne, too, is John Wayne is, he, you know, sometimes he's kind of, He's he's not always necessarily a straightforward hero. I won't say that he doesn't sometimes play complicated characters because he does. Right. But the need for him to be a warrior, I think, is more important because John Wayne yeah. dealt with a lot of shame as someone who did not, someone who was from a generation that 
you know, fighting in World War II in any capacity was expected of every man of his age group. Right. And, you know, he got out of it, I think, you know, like our former our former president, uh, you know, for like chin splints or something, you know, something like very minor mm. got out of the service. Interesting. And, I didn't know that. Yeah. And kind of. You, you you almost have to look at his filmography as some way of him dealing with the shame of not participating in any capacity in World War II. It kind of makes a lot of sense. The type right? Of, Doesn't because, that, like, kind of contextualize it Yeah, it actually bit? does. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, you're, you're looking at, a mo- like, this, like, idealistic, macho American man. You know, this is what yeah. you're supposed to be. This is what guys are supposed to be like. You know, the hero Yeah, and, and then, the you know, you, you look over across the set, and, you know, they're filming, like, The Great Escape, and... You yeah. have actors in that movie that actually were uh right, you know, you know, prisoners of war in Germany. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it and I think, you know, it's interesting too because like westerns don't really last that long in cinemas. Like mm. it's it's I don't think as long as like we would think. You mm-hmm. know, like obviously we'll get to the we're gonna have to talk about the revitalization of Westerns in the sixties in like a couple yeah. minutes. Because that's a whole nother thing we have to consider. But like the I'm talking like golden age Hollywood, painted background westerns, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. John Wayne specifically. It's Would Gre- Gregory Peck's in there somewhere. Yeah. Like I think yeah, too. Him too. Some of yeah, those. oh yeah. Well then there's also I don't know if this is the fifties, but I know there's the one that um that Marlon Brando directs and acts in, which oh, is, is One Eye Jacks. One Eye Jacks. It's wild. Uh, it's the only oh one of the God. only westerns I've seen. The sea. You in come California. into my town. You I come mean, into my town. He doesn't have the Godfather accent yet. Okay. So it's a bit of it's like it's like Marlon Brando <laughs> with a Southern cowboy like accent. Which I think mm. if he had a Midwestern one, it would have been interesting, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> gotta, but like, if, he, if only he could have been the Italian cowboy out there. Oh, he would have, he would have, you know, been ahead of uh, of, of all the it Sergio Leone weird. movies. Yes, it would have been weirdly prophetic. I mean, yeah, I kind of would have loved that. But it is like, there is this kind of enforcing of American history, always, mm-hmm. it feels like. There's always this kind of like, yeah. we have to revisit, revision, look at how it was, look how great these heroes were. Criticize mm-hmm. certain things, obviously, like the man and the, the, the bureaucrats of New York and the bankers, yeah. but like, which is always weird to me, but it mm-hmm. makes, I mean, it makes sense. Like that idea is very valid, but it's the yeah. irony of doing it to the same people of doing it to people you know it's and i don't think that that's like i'm like gonna go out on a limb here and say a lot of Mm -hmm. people were clearly lost on that i don't think it was this like Mm -hmm. tactic of like actually it's all an allegory it's all this thing and we're actually like trying to raise awareness of indigenous uh problems and and hardships of all these things that happened you know it's like i don't think it was that smart at the time you see that now you definitely don't see it there yeah you would but but that would have been like you know that that's the subtext to like a movie like The Shining, you know? Yeah, exactly. The, you, you, now, when you have a Western, you can still play with those ideas, but you would not ignore. You would not. Necess- there, there would have to be like his even look at like the remake of True Grit. There's that yeah. scene where they're hanging those guys and they very specifically have a an indigenous man who's about to be hung at the gallows 
and he is about to make some big speech and has a bag put over his head before he can say his last words. You know, like yeah. everybody, like every actor got to say their piece, and he's right. like, you know, before I am hanged, and they just put the bag over his head. They're like, no, like yeah. there's. If you want to have a western now and you want it to be modern and gritty, and to, to excuse the the true grit pun, <laughs> um, if you want it to be truly gritty like True Grit, um, right? <laughs> truly gritty. Uh, <laughs> Wait, I, I mean, I'm oh thinking, my god, is that now what, I'm is picturing that True Grit, but yeah, it has gritty. That... <laughs> Can we get a version of the movie where instead of Jeff Bridges, it's actually gritty from the Flyers? Oh my mascot? god, and it's like the post. The poster has gritty. He's in his flyer. He's in. No, no, no. He's in like uh. He's in a poncho, but it's like oh, flyers yes. colors. Yes, and he's he's pointing a six shooter. And it's like he still has that crazy look on his face, but the tagline—it's—it's <laughs> it's true gritty tagline. Fuck around and find out. There it is. Yeah. Yes. Oh my god. That is the western we need but don't deserve. Hi there. My name is Colby White, and I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts, a podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game, even though he doesn't know anything about it. We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. That's, we got to make that. That's going to be our magnum opus. True gritty. Truly gritty. (laughs) we'll, We'll figure that out later. Yeah. But anyways... You have sort of that moment to, in if you want to do a modern Western thing, because even something like right. Westworld, which is takes place in the future and mm-hmm. is pure fantasy, they also kind of make a point that oh, there's there are uh, Mexican villages and there are uh, tribes of Braves, and uh, I think recently, like uh, I never saw that much of it, but. Uh, Hell on Wheels made an acknowledgement oh, yeah. of you know the diversity of the people that worked on the railroads. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think um, you know when I first moved out to Montana, I read this book that was like Ghost Towns of Montana, and I'm reading through it oh. and stuff. And you know, I I remember my mom looking over my shoulder and like you know reading something in it and was like, "Why are there all the uh, like all these Chinese people out west?" And oh uh, yeah, like. And I was like, they 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 built the railroads. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. I think there's a new show actually on HBO. Well, it's not that new, but new-ish called Warrior, which I think is based in more of a mm. um, on the Chinese perspective of that being out west, it's, and it's like a kung fu show. I gotta watch it. I'll come back on that. But mm. it seems it seems interesting in terms of that. Interesting. But but yeah, it, it is like yeah, you know. Now as well, you also see the attention on the environment which is yeah. very different which is one thing that i've i've noticed like i think yeah obviously i mean this is again it's technically a western but it's before the stereotypical mm-hmm. period so like the revenant which was mm-hmm. obvious you know that was very clearly about landscape mm. more than the character it was like both but it's man surviving in wilderness but also yeah. there's an environmental disaster on our hands and it was mm-hmm. making a point but but look at um Look at, uh, uh, you know, and this is also, again, this is past the point of, 
Like, okay, so like you're saying, there's sort of like yeah. these different stages of Westerns. There's the yep. big Hollywood epic. There's the period afterwards of spaghetti Westerns where they are shooting them really cheap in, mm-hmm. in Italy and Spain. The Even the, uh, the soundtrack goes yes, from being this... big and orchestral to... Um, to a lone guitar yeah. a lone electric guitar and like you know that's the it's the clint eastwood sound and all of that is done you know they had some style yeah. to it but it's all done because it's cheap mm-hmm. you know and then you have the later kind of trying to revise the western itself and i think yeah. the pinnacle of this where the western is suddenly sort of prestigious again is dances with wolves ah yes that is one i would like to talk about as well yeah because that is that is so 90s environmentalism (laughs) yeah you know because i I think i think it came out in 1990 so they were probably like it did yeah in the late 80s yeah yeah and have you seen it recently yeah, actually. I mean, I watched it for the project, not the whole thing through, but for the scenes that I right. needed. I've, I've seen this movie a lot. Like, I watched it a you lot. D- you need it. Well, yeah, because, like, you don't have time to watch uh, a movie that's two VHS tapes long. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I had the DVDs, but, yeah. It's, like... <laughs> I mean, it's, like, three hours. It's three and a half. It's long. Like, it's a long yeah. film. I mean, it's... No, that's that's one that's one of those movies that, like, it it came on the two VHS box. Yeah. Like, oh, I miss those. Yeah. I miss those some mm, days. Yeah. You know, it's, um... That's a movie that, for, I think, was a step forward in, I think, a sympathetic environmental and indigenous case. Not everything about it ages particularly well. It does have a little right. bit of a white savior complex to it. Yeah. Um, and there's some other odd things to it. But, you know, it was even a big deal that, like, um, uh, what's his name? The actor? Uh, Kevin Costner? Kevin Costner, like it was even a big deal that like they were going to be speaking uh, the Sioux language, although they even had yeah. to uh, make some consolations about that. I believe they're speaking the variety, the feminine variety of the Sioux language through the whole thing okay. because they didn't have enough time to train everybody in both genders of the language. It's, you know, a very but interesting but, you know, effort, that, though. Yeah, it is it is an interesting effort to bring some kind of realism to it. The thing that always sticks out to me is the hairdos because <laughs> yeah. as much as much as it is like, you know, they make such a big deal about how accurate it's all supposed to be and all of this uh, you know, attention to detail. Kevin Costner still has like a late 80s mullet. Yeah. Um and uh his uh, romantic lead whose name is escaping my brain um has you know 80s farrah fawcett hair yeah you know like 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 beach hair <laughs> right although although i should mention not because she's glaring at me right now or anything but allison has an interesting alternative to that theory as to why this woman who even if she is white was raised by the sioux does not have braided hair Interesting. Her theory is that it is uh, due to her being, you know, mentally scarred and like and traumatized. Hmm. Okay, that's yeah. an interesting. Yeah, I mean that kind of makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, they would play into her character. Yeah, um, I think so. My my only other 
uh, thing I would add on to that, and this is not necessarily something that works within the story, but I think this is also goes back to what you were saying before, where they would kind of just cast whoever to play a Native American character. Right. I think that's also meant for the audience to know to distinguish her from the other uh Native American actors because it would not have been totally uncommon to have a white character playing an indigenous person, you know? Right, yeah. I, I think I think for me it's meant that, oh, we are supposed to read her as a white person. Oh, to not have the braids, in, you mean in this case? Yeah. Okay, sorry, I lost the context yeah. a little bit on that. No, that makes sense, yeah. actually. I could see that yeah. being a, a decision. I, I, think, I, think, I think the hair does those two things if allison's theory is correct i think it Mm -hmm. also it also gives us the audience like some confirmation that you are not supposed to see an indian woman right yeah i i I, yeah i think both of those together make a lot of sense and i think it Mm -hmm. adds to the depth and to the attention that's being paid to the characters Mm -hmm. and to the depth of the characters which i think the characters are very complex in that movie i think there's a lot yeah yeah it it, it is not you you do you do watch kevin costner turn you know completely reevaluate his stance oh yeah no it's it's very interesting and i mean i think too for the time it's important like i look at like Mm -hmm. i think you laid out the stages of westerns very very accurately in my opinion (laughs) if that means anything right like you know but i but i think like you yeah you have the golden age of hollywood westerns the big pictures you have the smaller you know the spaghetti westerns and all the things that are happening there the 90s kind of revitalization or even like yeah i guess 90s really because then it's like tombstone and other ones and then you have um the 2000s but like later 2000 like 2010 and such which also changes things I think people decide there was definitely a point in the 80s where they did not want to make Westerns because they were not considered profitable. Um, Yeah, yeah. But there's also, you know, when did the third Back to the Future come out? Because that's the one where Marty is um, in the Old West. Uh, uh, Let's find out. (laughs) And honestly, (laughs) I think it's 1989. I'm going to 1990. Dang. Oh, 1990. So 19, yeah, okay, so it comes out okay. in 1990. But that would have also been part of the whole 50s nostalgia value of right. Back to the Future in a weird way. Yeah, and I think they also played into that a little bit in that film, if I remember correctly. Yeah, because, there, well, there's the part. They make a distinction at one point, you know, um, when Marty first goes back in time, he's wearing, like, a, a a very glamour cowboy outfit. Oh yeah, and is immediately mocked when he arrives <laughs> in the old west. Yeah, they even call him. They even call him a dude. You know. Oh right. Which yeah. back then would have meant it would have it would have sort of meant hipster. It would have meant you know poser. Oh, that's funny. You know, like, I like that. Yeah, in the in the same way that dude, it, it 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 its meaning remains in the word dude ranch, where people from the city go out west for a quote-unquote real uh, western experience, right. you know, and get to rope cows for a weekend. You know, that's uh, Buford Tannen calls Marty a dude, which hmm. I, I didn't realize until later would have actually been a word in, you know, yeah. cowboy's vernacular. The uh, But, you know, then he he 
you know, he's making all those references to Clint Eastwood. <laughs> right. The, the whole way through. Uh, you know, especially when he's with the 50s version of uh, Doc, mm. he doesn't know who Clint Eastwood is. And yeah. Marty is like, I've never, he's like, Clint Eastwood never wore this in reference to the right. glamour cowboy outfit, you know? Yeah, oh, I used to love those references too. Because I think after I saw that, I watched the ones, like my dad would show me all the Clint Eastwood movies because I didn't understand the reference mm-hmm. either. Um, yeah. But that is interesting though to point out and why, because I think that could, that could also be a possibility for the revitalization like for the changes and stuff and the push back towards hmm. the nostalgia that's a, like a that's a solid theory honestly it's a possibility because you mm-hmm. it comes back like it, it, every couple years it, it shows back up i honestly don't know why but i kind of like yeah. like it adds something new though every time they change but there's mm-hmm. also something to well actually we can't we have to kind of backtrack a couple years too because like in the 80s I think in the late 70s 80s you have the science fiction films that are coming out that's like right. the thing right you you know and not not mm-hmm. the movie the thing but no that's a bad that's a bad <laughs> that's a bad horror movie joke for you out there but um <laughs> no but like you know you have um Star Wars and Star Wars is directly influenced by Sergio Leone's films as well as samurai films which are happening around Definitely, the same yeah. they were actually it's, happening in the 50s uh, uh mm-hmm. and that then takes the Western genre to space because there's still those right. tropes of the gunslinger, of the outlaw, the bandits, you know, the desert, literally. And it shows yeah. up. Yeah, and, you know, while Luke and all the Jedi are wearing, you know, uh, robes, you know, Han Solo is wearing a vest and, you know, has a gun on his hip. Exactly. Exactly. And, like, because, like, even in, like, for, like, sound tropes or soundtracks, you know, like, the Mm -hmm. the good, the bad, and the ugly, like, any, all these Sergio Leone films, too, like, shape how we think and, like, how Westerns sound. Because in the Golden Age ones with the orchestra, it's different. Someone should have really told George Lucas about the noble savage before he got to making the Gungans. Yeah. See, they backtracked on that because that's coming out around the same time, right? You know, they, uh... well, no, I guess it would have been later, but Jesus Christ, uh, Phantom Menace was a, was, yeah. a, was a mistake. But, but like, it was interesting, like, you know, with the Mandalorian now being the, like, I guess, newer installment of the TV show, yeah. like the, um, the soundtrack artist or composer yeah. for the film's score, um, Ludwig Gorison, it was, mm-hmm. he, talks about that kind of sound design for it and it's both being inspired from the western films from some of these older ones but then also the orchestra as well from star wars because you can't have star wars without an orchestra but i also think it's Mm -hmm. interesting that it incorporates these different elements so they found like he found this sound like the you know kind of like the good and the bad and the ugly guitar riff and whistle you know like it's it is so familiar and it finds its way into different genres even today and like even like mm-hmm. contemporary wise like red dead redemption both one and two video games that i think also take this western genre through a different lens later on like in the 1900s yeah but then you know through this idea of the gang and, and the the removal of uh or really the looming modernization like this theme i keep kind of we keep bringing back and saying how it's always kind of there mm-hmm. and it and it always is um yeah and the sound design is loose there's no orchestra it's yeah guitar riffs that happen and they leave off hanging and there's a 
like 30 seconds a lot of times in between because like yeah it has that feeling and now nostalgia from the 60s and the 70s movies that is so familiar to that or even in like i think um uh mm-hmm. lawless another show that came out on netflix if you haven't seen it it's very good at i think it's a very good western limited series and that's mm-hmm. another one that actually they won awards for their sound design actually for the show and, mm. and it's really good but the sound design wow. but it's like it's interesting how they they took a lot of what we know what we acknowledge of westerns like you think like spurs or guns hitting the belt or you know just like even like someone getting off a horse has a very specific sound or wind rustling i mean these all are in popular culture right wilhelm screams yeah i mean i guess that just <laughs> you know that just happened in the old west just like you you just turned a rock over wrong and you got a wilhelm scream you know it's true yeah they sampled that and actually used it for um for yeah. for star wars is actually happening on site yeah they do like doesn't doesn't a uh, a stormtrooper get shot and makes a wilhelm scream yeah every every one that happens and and continuing today i've never actually seen the western where that scream is actually from i i've i've just seen the clip <laughs> i've it. only seen the clip too i've never yeah i've never seen it where you like and he gets like shot in the ass too doesn't he? i think so don't quote me on that i don't remember <laughs> You know um, what? I haven't been shot in the butt with an arrow. Maybe I would make that noise too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. But I think like, you know, it's just it's interesting to me as like we point all of these things out to like really start to look at all of these details, right? Starting from novels, moving to films, sound, the things that we expect to see in a western. Exactly. And how they make their way into contemporary like but then also one thing we didn't touch is like how does that shape what we think the past look like? To just an audience. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I brought up, I think, you know, the um, the birth of a nation and how that's shaped a lot of yeah. audiences in the motion picture industry, mostly mm-hmm. for a negative way. And we start to think about, like, you know, the John Wayne archetype, the idea of the macho man, what the American cowboy is supposed to be. And I think always back to, like, Richard Prince's photographs of the Marlboro cowboy and, you know, cropping in on that photo, right, of the isolated yeah. cowboy and of this idea of exposing this yeah, myth. Yeah, the, the loner uh, poet who is a badass but also is quiet. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, And I feel like it's kind of become a staple of, like, what American culture is supposed to be or what it is. And, and in fact, it's based on, you know, this, this myth. It's based on a kind of mm-hmm. a cinema construction in a lot of times. And not mm-hmm. to say that, like, all of it is wrong. Because there's some, you know, you go out west and now things have just been appropriated from the films, I I truly believe. Yeah, certainly. And I think that is interesting, but it's also something to kind of be, you know, made aware of. And I I think now we're starting to see that recognition of, you know, cowboys actually being indigenous peoples and, you know, Mexicans and black people as well who would have been primarily doing those jobs and accept Mm -hmm. it. And also Mm -hmm. the west was somewhere of, the, or the frontier and the West was more of a kind of unison of peoples that were coming together and more like, yeah, you know, it wasn't it, as it divided not, in that yeah, way. You, you do not have to sacrifice accuracy to have, uh, you know, a more diverse image because there's, again, there's worthwhile aspirations here. There's, um, you know, the the idea of someone who is willing to fight for an ideal and then you know 
lays down his gun at the end of the day. That's a very, mm-hmm. you know, Cincinnatus, George Washington, you know. Right. Even going back to the Romans, I guess, with if we're talking about Cincinnatus. But that is, like, what we aspire to be as Americans. And it almost seems kind of perverse, like, to take that image of, a, you know, like, a, a modern, like, army recruitment video yeah you know, yeah version of version of a cowboy um i it's 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 difficult to sort of parse out how you feel about a lot of it but you are seeing more and more people start to color that whitewashed image of the cowboy and sort of like feeling it as a as a symbol for more americans you know whether yeah. it's sort of the dress sort of you know becoming a little bit uh less less weirdly cowboy dress and old western dress you have to be very careful about how you use it because you could look like someone with a you know blue lives matter sticker yeah (laughs) if you're a woman and you want to have you know vintage dresses and stuff you do run the risk of looking like you're uh in a uh a uh, polygamous cult maybe. yeah that is also very true yeah if you tweak them ever so slightly they're interestingly gender bent like yeah one of my professors in undergrad a lot of the focus of his work as someone who lived in montana he was fascinated by the the mot how macho the image of the cowboy was and yet he was a man that wore floral shirts and high heel boots was mm. expected to know how to dance and sing. Um, and is it's, it's a, it's not a blunt, uh, utilitarian masculinity. Yeah. It's, I think it's more complex yeah. than that in this case. Certainly. And I think there's a I lot mean, there. You, you also, like you said, you know, there were a lot of um, there were a lot of uh, black, indigenous and Mexican cowboys. But even to this day in in California, even in a lot of like what we would think of as like suburban areas, um, there's a lot of black owned and run ranches in yeah. Texas and California. Like that is you can you can walk through black neighborhoods in California and see people riding horses like that exists. Yeah. Oakland, I'm pretty sure was one of the ones that was yeah. for that and still are like the mm-hmm. concrete cowboys, even in Philly and stuff. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very interesting, but it throws a lot of curveballs into this idea of what we look at as the stereotypical American West. And I think mm-hmm. in a time now, especially where people look to these golden ages as a means of like, making something great again and you know like this is this anything is, yeah you know like but this this is a you know it proposes the actual reality and the true kind of nature of how culture moves and shapes and adapts and also how there is no real ideal in this sense of what the mm-hmm. american myth kind of perpetuates in the past and what a lot of people have held on to and more of a white supremacist uh, ideal or a racist ideal and and what the past may have looked like. And so I think there's these Mm -hmm. like, you know, I think when like looking at film history, looking at Western history in particular within motion pictures, there is that complexity. It's not so Uh 
binary, this is bad, this is good. You know, I don't think it's yeah, really you know, that. The, the, but... on, the only black and white thing are the cows. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess if they're, they're raising Holsteins. Yeah. Um, yeah, if they're raising Holsteins, if it, that 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 joke falls apart if they're raising another right. breed of cow. Right. Very very specific and and location based <laughs> joke. But it is but it is interesting, you know, it's I I think like you know, I just think as we start to expand into that genre more and lose a lot of the tropes but also understand a lot of the tropes just like they've kind of been transformed into something else i think it will move and even in yeah. certain cases it moved to the fantastical it moved to outer space and became something else that mm-hmm. maybe well star wars has its own problems and maybe we can tackle that one time yeah. but it is interesting in how to move a genre out of its context into somewhere else right. to then be able to like criticize it i feel like like taika yeah. watiti needs to do a western i feel like he could handle that really well <laughs> he's got one in him for sure yeah i mean i would be curious because in my list of westerns in my head you know there's ones that like like we're talking about you know there's there's a there's there would be like a john wayne western like the cowboys but then in my head you know there's also Australia, the movie with oh, uh, Hugh yeah. Jackman and Nicole Kidman, like that is—it's basically a cattle drive. I mean, yeah, it's the same thing, essentially. It's, I would be curious if, in the same way that there's the stockman figure in Australia, like, is—I would be curious if New Zealand or Australia, like, could handle a western, and I, I would be very interested if uh, to see Taika Waititi tackle that I feel like it'd be very interesting there's, there's, there's certainly the similar indigenous bent to it there's a similar religious element to it yeah um there's a, a a taming of a vast and wild frontier yeah type narrative yeah i mean it's essentially the same if anything there's probably more cows in the movie australia because it's actually about a cowboy <laughs> you know what yeah i feel like they definitely really emphasize the cow the cattle drive part <laughs> yeah of that movie i've seen that movie way too many times it- <laughs> yeah I, I think i think that would be really interesting to see though i mean i i think there is you know always going to be these kind of movements towards changing the genre moving forward and also kind of like as a reason to look into the past because I really do think it is this massive question that I don't think anybody can answer in in a sentence or even like you know an hour Mm -hmm. of time of just like how does you know portraying the past through film through literature through honestly visual imagery more than even literature and sound like how does that affect how we look back at it is this going to be another mm-hmm. we think that ancient egyptians were whitewashed again you know it, how does this affect things because you see it in a lot of other right. things i mean I'm, we're focusing on the western specifically because it's it mm-hmm. has this problem as well but there is a lot of genres out there that have, have been affected by this there's a lot of mo- historical fiction that's been affected by it and i'm just i think my you know it's probably a lifelong question in all honesty and mm-hmm. research fuel is kind of like or fuel for research you know like how this will i don't know how does that shape how we think of things and also how does it fuel mm-hmm. answers and create creative workarounds and ways of kind of critiquing that and looking back at it and then reshaping it and you know i think there's that's the kind of beautiful thing about creativity as well is that it can always kind of correct and change and in and critique really back at mm. what its history was and recognize its own history. Cause I think it's important to recognize 
the history of a lineage of whatever film you're making, whatever story you're telling, and where those tropes and ideas come from, and then how you can either improve upon it yeah. or push it in a different direction and a better one. Yeah, I that's that's very well put. It, um, I I was listening to a uh, a podcast uh, the other day, the the Dirt podcast. Mm. Um, it's a, uh, it's about archaeology. Oh, that's cool. Uh, they had a, an archaeologist from Howard University talking about the history of their human remains, uh, collection. And, you, you know, she addresses the, you know, especially in, you know, in the context of, of Howard University, a historically black college, you mm. know, it's, it's very, uh, you know the the history of anthropology and archaeology is very fraught. Yeah, in that sense, but she makes a very good case for why those things are still worthwhile, even though they might have unsavory histories that you know we shouldn't ignore. But right. you know, are are she basically you know makes the case that yes, archaeology and anthropology might have started in this place of trying to define some physiological difference between peoples of different ethnicities mm -hmm. yet it is now one of our best tools for proving that we are all in fact the same species there is no difference in intelligence or you, you can't measure somebody's skull and you know determine their uh determine their intelligence and values and morals and archaeology contemporary archaeology and anthropology continue to support the idea that we are all one species and all of uh equal standing in that biological sense hmm. and so you know yeah yeah taking something from history that that has has a troubled past but yeah there's still something of value if we're still doing it yeah, that's true. That's an interesting take. I quite like that a lot, actually, in in, in mm -hmm. describing that, both in this connection here, but also just even in that field as well. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 But I th I think that mm -hmm. that actually is, that's a good way to kind of, I think, close us out here. Is it, our... is it our time to ride off into the sunset? I think so, yeah, on our painted wall here that we've uh, kind of installed. Yes. <laughs> um, or is it real? <laughs> Uh, yeah, but thank you all so much for joining us on our, mm -hmm. uh, grand tour here. That's not a good joke either. It's, it's not a, it's not a joke kind of a day for me, you know. <laughs> Was that a Grand Canyon joke or Take it, a, it's uh, a grand, it could be the Grand Tour, it could be the Grand, I don't know. Uh, man. the, the Rio Grand? Yes. <laughs> You're fixing my jokes for me. Love it. Yeah. Thanks, thanks. No. <laughs> it's uh, I'm I'm the Patton Oswalt here. It's my job to punch everything up. You know, <laughs> another thing that always my dad always brings this up um, because my dad's a Billy Joel fan. Right. Uh, as a kid in the car, we would listen to like his greatest hits album, and uh, the Ballad of Billy the Kid would come on. Oh yeah. And um, much like I think people's problems with the song Wagon Wheel, where they <laughs> say. Uh, there's some i forget what it is in wagon wheel but there's a directional problem when he says uh heading heading west to the cumberland gap but he should be heading east oh interesting or something. interesting oh man <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah he says he's heading 
he's heading west from the Cumberland Gap to Johnson City. And Johnson City is east, east oh, of the man. Cumberland Gap. Um, oh, God. So, but in Ballad of Billy the Kid, Billy Joel says that east and west of the Rio Grande, a oh, no. river that does not run north-south. <laughs> how do you even fix how do you even fix that? Like do you rewrite the song and just like re put it back into you know like oh my god that's going to suck. That's like if you put a spelling mistake on something that can't be like redone and you got to have to like live with it forever. Mm. Oh my god. There is something very fun about like people that in that era of music that had kind of a passing familiarity with westerns and yeah. so cuz i mean that's that's all of elton john's early work like uh tumbleweed connection mm-hmm. um his his self-titled album like all of that is like his idea of a western right he was he was a big western nerd yeah that's kind of interesting. You know, even you know was like singing with like a quasi southern accent, and you can hmm. hear it in all of those songs. But that's uh, it 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 does also sort of fall into that thing of like, this is a fun, this is somebody's idea of the West yeah. rather than I mean, you know, Marty Robbins, man, that's the the Big mm. Iron, yeah. and all of those. I think it's like songs from the West or something like that. That's a that's actually yeah. a very good album, though. I'm gonna be honest. Yeah. Just for nostalgic purposes, you yeah. know, it's very interesting. Man, maybe we have to analyze music reacting as well. That's another. We definitely should. That could be interesting. There's, there's a band. There's a band I found recently called the uh, the Jazz Butcher Conspiracy. Whoa. Uh, yeah. Their album cover is crazy, but and it's actually it's difficult to find like other than vinyl. It was like in the one dollar vinyl bin at my record store. Oh wow. Uh, but honestly, super impressed with it because uh, it's also like kind of late eighties, yeah, uh, post punk. Cool. As well, All right, I dig that. Interesting. Yeah, it's uh, there's I we we could have a whole other conversation yeah. about that, and I guess we will down the road for sure. We're gonna have to cue that up for a tour. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what do we got? Uh, what do we before we ride off into the sunset? Right. Pause for uh, a sec. What have you? What have you got to plug, Joe? Spaghetti Joe? Uh, not much. You know, same as usual. You can check out the Midnight Drive, available on radiopapese.org. If you've been curious about this tour here and are questioning the work that I keep mentioning, you can check out American Landscapes, which is on my website, www.josaminoart.com. You know, check that out if you're interested. There's like a Vimeo link. I'm like 90% sure. Maybe that'll give some context, possibly. Mm. I don't know. But that'd also be cool and nice while it's up because I may or may not remove it. I have no idea. Anyway, that's pretty much all I got going on <laughs> on my end. How about you, Zan? Um, let's see. Uh, I have a show that has a reception in Hudson, New York. It's called Arte Natura, um, July 10th. Nice, uh, nice. At the Limner Gallery. Uh, I will be there uh, with a painting that I really hope shows up soon. It's oh. supposedly in a crate coming back to the U.S. from Italy. Uh, we'll, that we will see if it arrives. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> yeah. Other than that, my band Mothman is going to be playing June fourth. Uh, you should definitely, if you're in the area, you should come by Driftwood Roasteries and mm. uh, come see us. 
Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, if you want to follow the museum around after hours, we are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter, at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. If you have any suggestions, comments, corrections, please let us know. Uh, we love to hear from people. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, if you want to follow me uh, and my art, I am at Xanosaurus on Instagram. And I'm at Josemino Art on Instagram. And from the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Zan Peters. And I've been Joe Semino. Get along now. Bye. Bye.